Welcome to Inclusive Gathering Birmingham. Uh, Inclusive Gathering is an inclusive and affirming church. And uh, for us, it's really important to say up front that we want you to just be here as you are, wherever you're at right now on the spectrum of belief from doubt to convinced. Um, So just come and join with us as as you take us today. And if you've got any questions, you can always get in touch. Whether you're gay or you're straight, whatever your gender identity, um, whatever your race or ethnicity, your neurodiversity uh, or neurotypical status, whatever, whatever, we want you to be here with us. Um, so today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. That's flown by for me. Um, and today is the Love Sunday. Today we are focusing around one of the unsung heroes of the Christmas story. Hi, I'm David. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, the season of waiting and expectation. Today we'll be lighting the love candle. I'm going to read a prayer shortly. Uh, This prayer is called A Christmas Litany Amid Wars and Rumours of Wars by Rachel G. Hackenberg from the book Rally, Communal Prayers for Lovers of Jesus and Justice. If you'd like to, you can join in with this prayer, but it's also fine to just let the words wash over you. Here we go. Like a newborn baby crying, Our souls cry out to you, O God. The world is labouring hard over war and not labouring enough over peace. We feel strained by the violence of humanity and helpless before the industry of weapons. What protection is a manger? What effort towards peace is a lullaby? We listen to the angels proclaim, do not be afraid, but we are full of fear. It's easy to dismiss the arrival of hope. It's hard to believe a song of wonder. If the world has no room for peace, O Emmanuel, let peace be born within us. No matter the birth pangs, let us be your sign. To the glory of God in highest heaven, and for the sake of earth, let peace be born among us. Amen. Hello. My name's Sam and I've been coming along to Inclusive Gathering for since the beginning, more or less, and I'm one of the leadership community. A couple of weeks ago in our reading, we looked at Mary's song, The Magnificat, where Mary is visited by Gabriel to tell her she's going to have a baby. And the song is her response to that. Today's reading is from Luke. It's chapter one verses 39 to 45 and it carries on from where that left off in a way. Mary is now pregnant and she goes to visit Elizabeth who's her relative. This is from Luke which is in one of the Gospels, one of the four stories about Jesus. A few days later Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. 
At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honoured that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Hi, my name's Julia and I'm part of the IGB leadership team. Now, maybe a month or so ago, I was listening to a podcast in which the late Lord Jonathan Sachs was being interviewed. In the interview, Jonathan Sachs was saying that God often chose others. And that is just one reason why we should be very careful not to reject or other other people. It struck me that that was true of the reading that we had today. In many ways, Mary and Elizabeth were both others in this story. At the time, there would have been no expectation that these two women would be the main players in the next move by God. They were women, they were poor, they didn't live in nice houses, they weren't known for giving talks about God. In fact, they wouldn't have been allowed to speak in the temple. They were just not the people you would expect to be the main players for an important event. However, it may be that God had been preparing Mary from an early age. We don't know much about Mary's background from the Gospels, but we have heard more about it from a second century document written by somebody called James. There are some suggestions that this might have been Jesus's brother, Joseph's son from a previous marriage, although I thought that would make him very old. In the, these writings, we hear that Mary's parents were elderly. Their names were Anna, Saint Anna, and Joachim, and they were praying for a child in the temple. God granted them a child and it was a girl. We're also told that Mary was brought to the temple at the age of three after Anna had promised her to God's service. Perhaps it was that also if they were elderly parents, then maybe they, they thought they wouldn't be able to look after her. And so whether she stayed at the temple or whether they found her somewhere else, she would be uh, better looked after. Anyway, when Mary was probably about 12, the priests decided that it was time for her to have a husband. And so they invited the righteous elderly widowers to come to the temple. I just thought, well, that's just what any young woman wants, isn't it? An elderly widower when you're about 12 to be your husband. Anyway, that, that's, <laughs> that's what the story tells us. So one of the people who came was Joseph as an elderly widower. Um, so he was invited and when he came, his walking stick started to flower. And the priest decided that this was a sign that he was the right man to look after Mary. So Mary is first told that she's gonna get married and then she has her amazing account, encounter with the angel Gabriel, which we heard about a couple of weeks ago. 
Within a few days, she'd set off to see her cousin Elizabeth. We don't know how far Zachariah and Elizabeth lived. There are some suggestions that it could have been as much as 80 miles away, which seems an awfully long way to me for a young woman to be travelling on her own. I imagine on foot. I mean, if I go somewhere that's 80 miles away, I stop off and have a cup of tea. If you know me, you know that's the sort of thing I would do. Well, we don't know whether Mary would have heard that her cousin Elizabeth was pregnant. Perhaps she was just the only female relative that Mary knew she could go to uh, for maybe with her news and for advice. Um, but perhaps she had heard the stories of how Elizabeth had got pregnant. So it may be that she thought, well, she's the obvious person to go to. Uh, we don't know how well she knew her or anything like that. So let's go back to Elizabeth for a moment. We know even less about her background. We do know that she was married to a priest, Zechariah, and that they were both descendants of Aaron. And so they both came from priestly families, but neither of them were anything special in the hierarchy. Zechariah was obviously a minor priest. We know this because we hear that he was chosen by lottery to go and burn incense in the temple. There were a lot of uh, priests at this time in Israel, and so lots were drawn for duties in the temple, unless you were a much more senior cleric. However, we also learned they were both righteous and obedient to God in their lives. We also hear that they were very old. Now, Elizabeth had probably longed for a child all her life, and maybe she'd been shamed by others for not being able to produce a child. By now, she'd have probably given up hope and would be expecting to live out the rest of her life childless. Then, one day, Zachariah came home and told her, or acted out with signs maybe, to say that she was going to have a baby. I wonder if she laughed or perhaps she could see the seriousness of the situation because Zachariah couldn't speak because he doubted the angel and therefore had been struck dumb. How must she feel? She'd waited so long and now she was going to just wait another nine months and then she would have a child at her age. What would people think? Would they believe it was hers? Well, she, if she was pregnant, they probably would, would see that. Also, there was a promise for her child, but there was no promise for her as to how long she was going to spend with her child or see him growing up, I suspect there must have been some mixed emotions, to say the least. What really amazed me was her response to Mary turning up. I can't really imagine myself in a situation like hers, but if I was, I suspect I might say something like, Hey, guess what, Mary? Zachariah saw an angel, and the angel told him I would have an amazing son. He's going to be called John, and oh, God is going to use him to bring people back to righteous living. Isn't that great? Fancy me having a baby all these years, after all these years. And my child has been chosen by God to be very important. Elizabeth, however, is different. She is delighted to see Mary and focuses on her and her unborn child. She seems to have the gift of prophecy, prophesying, realising immediately 
who Mary's child will be and what Mary's position in history will be. She's not jealous in the least, but she delights in this knowledge. Now, Christmas time, we often say, is a time for thinking about other people. And this Christmas as a country, we're probably more aware of this than any other time, or at least in my lifetime. Who, however, are the other people for us? Is it just our friends and family who we've been really looking forward to seeing and now can't, and we don't know when we can see again? Perhaps there are people we're missing this year who are no longer with us, or who we have concerns for. I think it is right that whether with sadness or joy, we celebrate the love that we have within our own families and friends, work colleagues, church members, and the other communities that we may long for. However, are we also concerned for the people who in some ways we would consider other? And why is it particularly important at Christmas? I'm not gonna give a long answer to that, but as Christina Rossetti wrote in the last verse of her poem, which starts, love came down at Christmas, which I just think is a fantastic first line. Oh, by the way, I'm gonna change one of the words. I'm gonna change men to women. I suspect she would have probably wanted to do that. She would have probably done it rather more elegantly than I am going to do though. So I've just changed one word for another word. So the last verse is, love shall be our token. Love be yours and love be mine. Love to God and all people. Love for plea and gift and sign. Finally, I'm going to return to Jonathan Sachs and a, and a quote from his book, The Dignity of Difference, How to Avoid the Clash in Civilization. He wrote, we encounter God in the face of the stranger. That, I believe, is the Hebrew Bible's single greatest and most counterintuitive contribution to ethics. God creates difference. Therefore, it is the, in the one who is different that we meet God. May we live fully, may we love wastefully, and may we have the courage to be all that God has created us to be. Happy Christmas. Dust off the soot, coat on the hook, his wind-weathered look is rosy. Rest well earned, the traveller returned, the log fire burns so cosy.